Welcome back to another edition of Chat with Leaders, where we're passionate about amplifying the voices of leaders who use influence as a force for good. I'm Jeff Bond, and I'll be your guide for today's chat. Thank you so much for investing your time to grow in your leadership alongside me today. Dahlia Racine is the Douglas County District Attorney and today's featured guest. She brings almost 15 years of prosecutorial experience to serve our community with specializations in homicides, crimes against women and children, and human trafficking. She's championed the responsibility of elected prosecutors to keep their community safe by implementing innovative practices and policies that actually reduce the number of repeat offenders who cause harm. She's integrated smart justice while holding dangerous offenders accountable in our prison system. Additionally, Dahlia has made it a priority for the district attorney's office to be an integral part of our community and to keep servant leadership at the forefront of everything that she does. Today, you'll hear more about her story, lessons learned around leadership, and some strategies for mitigating criminal behavior while elevating our humanity. Dahlia is such a great example of how to be a good steward of a position of power and influence over the lives of others in our community, and I am incredibly excited to share her wisdom with you today. All right, let's jump into this chat with Dahlia Racine. As a DA, the the and all the prosecution that you do around uh, child sex trafficking and serious crimes, you know, it causes me to think, you know, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> so ironically, very well, because usually I'm exhausted at the end of the day, but that's not to say that obviously there are a lot of um, things that can obviously keep you up at night in in the work that we do, but I can't, I tend to sleep all right. (laughs) Mm, Well, that's good. And I, uh, I know that you do a lot of public speaking on the human trafficking topic and uh, I think it would uh, be a a great topic to continue on. And and you're such a fluent speaker in that area and, and also just your influence in that community uh, is just so remarkable, uh, but we're not going to dive too deep in that today. We're going to give you a little break on that. We're going to talk about you know, leadership as a whole and what uh, you consider a purist DA's vision for our criminal justice system, which I think is beautiful and I'm really excited to unpack. But before we go there, I kind of wanted to dive back into the past a little bit. Uh, what originally attracted you to the criminal justice system and obtaining your doctor of law at Emory and embarking on the journey of the DA career track? Yeah, so it's ironic because um, I was a reluctant uh, participant to go to even law school. Um, but looking back, it just seems like it's a natural trajectory. It was obvious that that would kind of be what I do based on my influences in life. So um, I am third generation law enforcement. My grandfather He did, um, was in the FBI for a few years. And then um, my father is retired law enforcement. My mother is a retired legal assistant. And so obviously bringing those two industries together, it would make sense that criminal justice um, would be in my future, but I was oblivious to that. Uh, And my mom as a kid uh, would always tell me, she was like, you're gonna be a lawyer because you love to argue all the time. And so she's like, use it for good and not evil. And so- it just seemed like a, a natural push to get into that. And on a more personal note, um, having been a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and feeling as if justice had not been served in my particular circumstance, I think that that really drove me to advocate for others, to have a passion to, to seek justice for others. And I really feel like, I don't know that there's any studies out there, but I would not be surprised if a lot of us within the criminal justice system are similarly situated, where we've been through these traumatic events and and felt as if it was not 
maybe perhaps handled the right way that drives us to do the work that we do. But I'll speak for myself. I know that that was a big factor to get me to, to where I am and definitely trying to, to make sure that we're doing the right thing when it comes to our crimes against women and children within the criminal justice system. Mm. Well, if there's one thing I, I, I particularly admire about leaders is their ability to be vulnerable and to share some of those harder moments. And so I'm grateful for you doing that. And, and I think that there's somebody listening today that may have carried that vaulted trauma in their life too. And that needs to break free of that and find some purpose in that and find some way to, to forge ahead faithfully and to apply uh, that yearning for justice in some way. And I hope that that's a huge inspiration to them. And I would have to assume that what you said is, is accurate because otherwise back to the original question of how you sleep at night and how you jump out of bed, that yearning for justice and, and reform. Um, I, I would assume that that has to be a very personal uh, journey in a lot of ways. Otherwise being removed and seeing the dark in the world uh, can, can beat you down for sure. Uh, what and or who have been some of your most influential resources that you've come across in your career that have just encouraged and pushed you to keep going? Yeah, so I have to uh, go back retroactively again to, to my parents. Um, they are a huge influence in who I am today and uh, how I've been shaped. So again, you know, like I said, my dad is, is uh, retired law enforcement and being exposed to that um, growing up in having kind of that, that law enforcement family around me, but always knowing that my dad's moral compass and his commitment to serve and to do the right thing um, was a very strong influence in seeing real life examples of that before me in so many different ways and in the sacrifices that he made, not just for his family, but in his service to our community was a huge influence. And then equally so, um, my mother, um, my, I'm first generation on my mother's side. Um, and so seeing her courageousness and boldness um, to strive for better, to, to being a change agent and a change maker in her own life, um, to have betterment for future generations. You know, that's a huge influence to see that as an example and, and that courage and um, to, to bottle that, if you will, or to get that as a benefit from a multi-generational standpoint. And that's been a huge influence for me too. Mm -hmm. Well, I love the focus on hypergenerational, like bringing that through line together. And, and that's a big point of emphasis on this show is amplifying the voices of leaders like you uh, who are able to influence uh, as a force for good our next generation because we are all temporary citizens. We got to leave this world in a better place. And our leadership isn't just in the workplace and our sphere of influence organizationally, but it's in the community. It's at home as parents and just so proud uh, of the parents out there that are working hard to set that example. What are your parents' names? Bill and Samira. <laughs> Bill and Samira. We need some more Bill and Samiras in this world. Call to action, y'all. Yes, um, they're fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fantastic too, to hear. Uh, what do you wish that everyone understood about your job and what's a commonly held belief about your work that maybe you passionately disagree with? Yeah, so uh, Jeff, you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with the purists, but I will take that back a couple steps before getting into that. I think one of the biggest frustrations for prosecutors across the board are these just prolific criminal justice shows that are out, whether it be SVU, Law and Order, all the different things. And so um, I think sometimes that as a society, we set that as a standard. And even to the point where like, when we're talking to juries, we're like 
asking them, hey, do you think this is real? Do you hold us to this standard just because we have to manage expectations as to what we can actually do and what's the reality of the system? Um, and so I think that's one big thing of, of the Hollywood version of what we do. But I also think that oftentimes we're perceived to um, be the ones wielding the sledgehammer. And so obviously we have great power and with that comes great responsibility. Uh, but for my approach to criminal justice, it's, it's obviously we have the ability to put people away for a long time to, to deprive folks of liberty. And I'll be very honest with you, there are several individuals um, who I've encountered and there are defendants who come through our system that they need to remain in prison for the rest of their lives. But that's not the vast majority of individuals that come through our system. And so for me, I think a big misconception is that uh, real prosecution does not involve a sledgehammer as much as a scalpel um, and being able to really navigate the system and, and understand resources and understand that a lot of the crimes that we see are symptoms of untreated causes, um, systemic causes, whether that be poverty, whether that be addiction, whether that be mental health, you know, all these really prolific issues that we have within our society. And if we could figure out a way to connect individuals to resources to deal with those issues, we ultimately have a safer community because we then have more productive returning citizens because they have been um, able to be set on a path where they can really um, cure what's that underlying issue. And so we don't see those symptoms popping up nearly as much and keeping our community safe that way. I love the proactive nature of that and, and realizing that great power and responsibility and trying to get ahead of it. And you're such a master at the, um, at the analogies of the sledgehammer versus a scalpel. I've, I've heard you, you know, say the rule with the iron fist before with a lot of people that think that's what the DA is all about. And, and I, you know, I get, I get schooled by Paul Giamatti and billions on Showtime. That's my perception of a, <laughs> of a DA, but you have uh, dispelled all myths and, and assumptions that I've made with just being a light in the world uh, amid the darkness and your leadership characteristics uh, are just so admirable. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. And, you know, it's it's something that I think um, in challenging individuals to be change makers in systems, which can be really, really tough. Um, you have a narrative that's in society. You have perceptions within your community. And, you know, it's just having the, the courage to step forward and say, let's try something different, because, you know, the very definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result and just being able to say, let's let's try something new. We are going to take a quick break for this message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Inspire EDU, a nonprofit organization putting technology devices into the hands of Atlanta's underserved communities. The need for technology devices has accelerated due to the pandemic, and Inspire EDU makes a positive difference helping marginalized learners. Through its partners and supporters like you, Inspire EDU helps learners become 21st century scholars. Learn how you can support their mission at iuatl.org. And now back to our chat. One of my favorite quotes of insanity, and, and I've been in that loop before, I'm sure we all have, where we're wondering why things aren't being changed. But I think when you're talking about systems that have been in place for ages, many of which people that are still involved help implement or at least carry forward. There can be a lot of pain that uh, comes with talking about innovation and change and systemic injustice and uh, things like that. So 
Um, we'll get into that here in a moment and see maybe if there's some strategies of how to be more proactive and unify people. But one thing I was curious about was when you first started working in the DA office, was there something that you found to be a lot more challenging than you originally expected? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest issues you have coming in as a new administration is um, gauging uh, the individuals that you were working with. I have a phenomenal team here in my office. They are tremendous um, at what they do, very hardworking. You know, one of the first things we did was do one-on-one -on -one interviews with everybody to just understand their why. Um, you know, why is it that, because everybody could leave government work and go do, you know, something more profitable, but there's something that keeps uh, folks tied to this work. And what was amazing was that we had this common thread throughout um, not only for my vision for the office, but also for what I was hearing from um, our team members. And that was really tremendous to, to have. Taking that, I think, um, helped with the challenges of saying, let's be innovative, let's try new things. Because I think if you stay focused on that why, then the how and the what become more negotiable and palatable um, as you try to shift and you try to change those things and you try to hear from others as to their thoughts and their ideas. And so um, I think that once we laid that foundation, that it was very helpful for us to encounter and deal with and overcome the challenges that then came next. And let's be honest, I mean, you have it throughout. If you if it's smooth sailing, then maybe you need to uh, reexamine and see what else needs to be changed. Um, and so I think that was really helpful as we as we started our journey here. Sounds like everybody is adaptive to change and thinking in terms of innovation and being open-minded. And anytime I hear the why, the how, and the, and the what, I always think of Simon Sinek and his TED Talks and Start With Why, which is a great leadership book, one of my influencers. And so um, just great to hear how you're going through unifying the team and leading the team. Um, so going back to, to strategies and maybe being more proactive with mitigating criminal behavior and bringing influential leaders together in the education and the awareness and identifying signs of trauma, breaking generational cycles, particularly with our juveniles who have a lot of life ahead of them. Yeah. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, kind of systems that are in place that uh, have been implemented over time and change isn't easy. And so what are some strategies that can be employed uh, that you can maybe use your influence toward and you're guiding your team towards uh, to be more proactive with mitigating criminal behavior and sparking some of that innovation and change? Yeah, a great question. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things is, is us to have the recognition realization of our role as community partners. Um, you know, a lot of times the criminal justice system for good reason is siloed. Uh, nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to be involved in it. Um, and, and I understand that, but the reality is that we're not only community partners, we're also economic partners. Um, what we do directly impacts the uh, workforce, it, it impacts family dynamics, it impacts so many different you know, foundational threads to our community. And so number one is that we have to be cognizant of, of our role and, and the role that we serve and that we play. And with that realization came just the natural collaboration um, that should happen because of who we are in our society, that we do need to connect with our business community to help them to understand that if we have returning citizens that say have gone through our pretrial diversion programs, our accountability courts, why we think they would be a good part of the workforce and having those really open conversations. Um, we also have to have very open conversations with our community to understand that, you know, we under, we know that the criminal justice system has had 
very devastating um, impact on our communities of color, that there is no disagreement that there has been gross disparity within our criminal justice system. And that's on us to correct. And, and part of that is reestablishing our trust with our community. We do a lot of community outreach. We do um, a lot of information sharing and just trying to rebuild and repair that trust with our community so that they are they know what we're doing and that we're transparent with what we're doing. And then just understanding that uh, innovation can also exist in criminal justice system. Um, it's very well adapted to, I think, within private industry and the business world. But sometimes we are reluctant as a system because there's a lot at stake. You know, when you're talking about people's lives, you're talking about a sense of security, there can be sometimes more pushback. But in understanding that there are tried and true methods that make sense for us to try to integrate within our response to crime in our community, being smart on crime, being proactive, uh, being in the schools, trying to, to understand um, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences and the impact that they have on people not only being victimized, but also being um, pushed into the system and the offender population and really trying to interrupt that. And so we've done a lot of different programming and ideas um, and policies to try to interrupt that school to prison pipeline and just try to get our um, community on the same page of understanding the reality of, of what people go through and how that feeds into our system and how we can interrupt that. Well, it's hard work, but I know for you, it's hard work and you're working incredibly uh, diligently to those ends of, of trying to unify, break down the silos, be a collaborator. And I love the, I think if we all thought about the adverse childhood experiences and maybe the causes uh, of that, and, and then we maybe had a little bit more empathy, you know, towards that and, and mercy and, and forgiveness and, and grace. And then we were looking for ways to reconcile and to, and to re have reformative uh, justice or reconciliatory justice. I think uh, that could really make a huge, huge impact uh, in addition to addressing a lot of the systemic issues and, um, and things that we need to absolutely correct that are in our system. So, so thank you for for all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's something that I'm deeply invested in, not just because of the work and my passion for the work, um, but, you know, personally of having and raising three Black children in, in our society that this system has to work because it is too important to not work and it's too dangerous to not work. So making sure that we have um, a system that is truly set up to, to serve the way that it should serve its community the way that it should. Mm. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll be completely vulnerable and honest in myself as, you know, growing up and having a diverse set of friends and diverse communities and now having a, a mixed family. You know, I have two uh, nieces who are half African-American and, uh, you know, it, it just pained me during this past couple of years to realize that a lot of these injustices are there when I, I didn't even realize, you know, I just assumed in a lot of cases that, uh, things have gotten better and we've gotten beyond that, but there is so much work to be done and uh, I hate it that it still exists. I'm glad I'm a little bit more aware of it now and that I can, you know, use my influence in any small or large way to help, you know, right the wrongs and, and do better going forward. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just great to have leaders like you that take it personally and, and are working hard to bring people together, you know, and that, uh, aren't condemning, but convicting people that this is a better way, uh, to move forward. 
Dahlia, what is one question that you wish I asked you that we didn't cover before we wrap up here? Yeah, I think that, um, gosh, I mean, you did a great job. <laughs> but I guess the, the question that I could think of that is not necessarily directed at me, but something to leave with is, um, you know, I think, Jeff, you, you summarize it beautifully. And what you just said is in looking at what's going on to not be just a apathetic uh, viewer, observer, but to truly ask yourself, what can I do? Because I think if everybody just asked themselves that and acted on that answer, because we all bring different talents and gifts to the table. And if we just said, what can I do? And we got up and did it, what a different world this would be. Um, so that's what I would say. Mm. There's a lot of beauty in the overall arching theme of humanity, you know, and elevating humanity that you covered here. And just so grateful for that. If people wanted to get a hold of you or just learn more, follow you online, what online resources would you direct them to? Yeah, so we are very strong in our social media presence. We try to, like I said, share a lot of information with our community. And so we're on all, well, not all, a lot of the social media platforms. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on uh, TikTok, and we're at Ed Douglas County DA. And then we just launched our brand new website, which is um, douglascountyda.org. So we're very proud of that. And so those are the ways that you can reach us. Well, it's impossible to be on all social media outlets, and we will certainly be including all of those links on the show notes on chatwithleaders.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And, and the TikTok thing really does pique my interest because I'm not a TikTok person, but this may be the impetus for me to finally check it out and see any special dances that are going on in the DA's office and uh, <laughs> clever videos and see how you market that. Yes, please come check it out. Well, Dahlia, thank you so much. This has been such a gift as always. I hope many people, um, you know, check, check out these resources and, and look further into how they can support and be part of the process and, and not be apathetic and, and be part of a, a reformed and more purist view of how the criminal justice system works. So thanks again for your gift of time and wisdom today. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. And thank you for being part of this awesome community. We've been so grateful for all the kind words of support coming in through email, social media, reviews, and referrals. If you haven't already, please visit our show on Apple Podcasts and in the review section, tap the number of stars that you feel the show deserves. This helps us continually improve the content and get it out to more next-gen leaders and leave it in their capable hands to bring this world to a better place and how we found it. By the way, if you thought about launching your own podcast to grow your business through new relationships and conversations that matter, I have great news for you. We have officially launched our agency service at Chapel Leaders Media, where we will help you strategically plan, implement, and produce the platform for you. So go to chapelleaders.com to learn more and feel free to reach out with any questions. We would love to help you scale your revenue and capacity to deliver a strong social impact in your community using business as a force for good. Now go enjoy your day and be a leader worth following.